Welcome to the HVAC Financial Freedom Podcast, a show to help you create more revenue, profit, and freedom in your life. Now your host, John Victoria. Hello and welcome to the HVAC Financial Freedom Podcast, a podcast focused on helping you grow your revenue, your profits, and your freedom in your life. I'm your host, John Victoria, and today we are talking about exit planning. And we have a special guest here, uh, Jeremy, who will be um, briefing us on the most important things as you're considering an exit in your business, which is inevitable, right? You know, all of us at some point are going to be here anymore. Or we're going to want to do something different. This is something that's inevitable. So we got to plan for it. So without further ado, uh, Jeremy, just well, a quick introduction to yourself and the work that you do. Yeah. Good morning. My name is Jeremy Puglisi. I'm a certified exit planner, um, wealth management certified professional, retirement income certified planner. So I'm a financial advisor. I work with Park Avenue Securities and uh, Guardian. The name of our firm is Planning Alliance. We have multiple offices uh, in the Northeast, and I specialize in working with HVAC, plumbing, blue-collar business owners, because that's my background. So, yeah, that's what I do. Thanks for having me. Love it. Welcome, Jeremy. And maybe we could kick off with that. Um, you know, how did you get into this business? It sounds like you had some origin stories in the trades. And so could you just talk, like, how did you even get to where you are today? Yeah, so I started working in a family business when I was about 13 years old. My father owns a commercial plumbing supply business where we sold a lot of commercial plumbing supplies all through New York. And I was the head sales rep for that and I managed the sales team. At one point, I did the logistics, so I would do the shipping and receiving and purchasing with them too. And then at night, I would have my own uh, plumbing business on the side. Right. So I started doing that and I did it full time for 15 years. You know, while I was in school prior to that, I did it part time for four years. So overall, I had 19 years uh, working in that industry before I transitioned to finance. And, um, you know, family businesses specifically, right, are very emotional and there's a lot that goes on. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, personalities. Right. And we have to try and focus on principles instead of the personality. Sometimes we're running businesses. So, so yeah, I saw a niche and I saw a need really. I saw a need for a lot of my friends were HVAC and plumbing contractors and they own businesses. I was selling them their material and then, you know, they weren't really getting uh, the attention they needed to address these business planning issues. Wow. And that, and I think that gives you really an intimate look into how these businesses work because like you yourself, like you grew up in that business, you ran your own plumbing business as well. And I think that's very unique because, um, you know, there, there'll be some professionals that come in and they have no idea of the context of that business, but you really, you know, have that literal hands-on experience uh, in the business, yeah. which is unique. Yeah, it's really great. You know, there's a, a certain language, right? That's spoken when you've kind of been in the trenches and you know what's going on and you know what it's like early morning uh, to try and coordinate your guys and see what kind of work they're do for they're going to do for the day, make sure they have all the material they need, you know, organize your warehouse, manage your inventory. Like there's a lot of different components, right, that make these businesses profitable and make them valuable. And uh, it definitely is a value to have spent so much time in that. So 
Yeah. It's amazing. And so you said after it was like 15, 20 years, you then transitioned into um, financial practice. And uh, what was the, the inspiration? Because it's like you were in the, you know, the day-to-day, you know, in the trades, folks on that. It sounded like you found an opportunity. But was, was there like a story, like an inspiration moment that like really, hey, I really want to do this. And this, I can see the impact that this will make in companies' lives. Like what was, what was that, that, that reason or that seed that, that bloomed for you? Yeah, one day... Um, I went to go visit, uh, at that time it was a customer, right? He was an HVAC, uh, mechanical contractor that had about 20 guys working for him and he had a sign on the door and he just, that was it. He folded it up. He had, was tired of dealing with the employees. He was tired of dealing with the customers. I would say uh, back when this happened, the gentleman was just about 60 years old, right? Uh, it was a family business that he had inherited from his father and it was successful, but he just got sick of dealing with, um, dealing with the stress of it. And also he didn't really see a way out. So he actually kind of gave everybody severance and shut it down and liquidated everything. And he went to go work for a municipality to get a pension, right? So you think about it, like this is a guy, second generation business was really well regarded in the community. Then. He didn't see it like an end in sight where he could have some guaranteed kind of retirement with his own business. So he just, wa- he just called it a day and went to work someplace that he could get a pension. Uh, and, and I think if you, if you really consider right, the details pragmatically about that, tri- that, that, that story, it tells you that there's a fear, there's a fear. What am I going to do with my business? How do I, um, how do I step away from it? I can't be, you know turning, turning tools every day for the, for all the way through. I have to have people I rely on. Right. So I remember sitting there and thinking, wow, this is like a successful guy. And he just walked away from this. And, um, and I learned then that there was a real need. I talked to other customers that I had back then, other friends, and nobody really had any planning place to allow them to, to, to have some breeding, right? It's about freedom. That's what it all comes down to. It's not, you know, it, it, Money's a byproduct of hard work and freedom is a byproduct of money, right? So a lot of times you might think it's about money, but it's really about freedom. People want to spend the time doing things they love with the people they love. And the goal is to help them get someplace with their business where they can actually have that freedom, right? So that's a beautiful thing, right? You know, we all start, you know, whether we inherited a business or we started a business, we all have some goal in mind. And it sounds like in this case, um, there wasn't, um, you know, maybe it might've been a missing knowledge or maybe it was an, a lack of awareness of what could be possible. You know, someone made to the end of their, you know, their career, 60, 65 years in the trade, that, that's like around the average age right now. I think it's around like 50, 55 years old. So there's a lot of folks transitioning out. Um, and it sounds like you have to be intentional about how you do it. Otherwise you might not, like you said, not have this, this pension or something that really protects you in, in your older, in your older years. Um, and you know, all of us, we can't work till the day, you know, a lot of us don't want to work until the day that we die. And so it's like, how can we enjoy some of those things in, in our retirement as well? Yeah. I, and I think that's, that kind of speaks to the topic, right? So it's never too early, right? There's like, you, you started off by saying, this is inevitable, right? This is the, this type, this exit from a business is inevitable. It's going to happen uh, with a third party sale going to happen with an insider transfer, right? Maybe there's a, a young 
another enthusiastic, really smart employee that you say, man, I think this person could, could grab the reins one day, right? Or maybe you're looking for that person. But then there's also, there's also guys that I know that are passive owners. They have a management team, right? Their business, they're still, they're still going there and they're working, but they're not putting in nearly the hours they did, right? And they've built a management team or they've built a few people they can really rely on to run the business. So there's like a passive ownership structure in place where they own the business, but they're, but they're not putting nearly the, the time or effort they did uh, when they were younger, right? And mm-hmm. then to build these types of structures and, and to, to really design this infrastructure, it takes time. You know, and it's, it's, it's never too early to start. I think that's really the, uh, that's one of the key takeaways that I would offer, right? You know, you have people that the gentleman I mentioned, he was in his late fifties or maybe mid fifties to sixties when he got frustrated, but maybe if he had started five, 10 years prior to that, he, he wouldn't experience the frustration that for, for someone to walk away from their business frustrated or to live a life going to their business frustrated that. That takes years to build, right? That frustration isn't one day, like you have a tough day and then it just lasts forever. It's years of going to work and experiencing these little frustrations because there's a lack of structure and a lack of, a lack of real support that that owner is getting with good employees, right? So, so I think that's, that's a real important uh, component we should discuss. Off that. And why do you think that is? Like, why, why are so, so many people not thinking about, you know, this end? Um, like this is like where everything's headed. Um, cause I know a lot of folks when they first start their business, they're like, I, I just want to, I just want to, you know, be my own boss. Right. You know, I, that's, I think that's the first thing people might, might think of. Um, they might be very skilled. They might be a technician who's really good with their hands and knows what's to do. But, um, I, I think a lot of folks just don't think about that. So like, why, why is that? Is, is there just something missing in, I don't know, the education or is it just like awareness in the industry? Like why, why are so People can't think sometimes even further than the year. So like, why, why not the, why not the end? Yeah. There's like, so there's a, a saying, right? You working in your business or are you working on your business, right? There's a very common thought process. And a lot of times people are really busy in their business, which is great. Right. I mean, the phone is ringing. We have work coming in. We have a backlog, you know, we're looking to try and staff it to make sure that the material we need hypothetically in these jobs is going to be there. So it doesn't delay projects right? Because that's a concern, right? The supply chain. They're worrying about all of these day-to-day issues that could get in the way of them completing the job because when they stop completing the job, care stops, and then they're worrying about payroll, right? So there's all these different things that come into play. When do they actually take the time to sit down and consider what the long goal is? Like, what's the long play here? What, where, where am I really going to be when I can't do this work anymore? Or maybe I don't want to be here as, as long as I have been you know, 14 hours a day, five, six days a week, right? There's so many little day-to-day issues that need to be addressed. Um, that very rarely, in my opinion, there's, there's, there are diamonds in the rough, but a lot of times um, the average business owner, especially in HVAC, plumbing, uh, electrician, they're, not, they're, they're, they're very worried about that short-term day-to-day uh, hill they need to mount. And, um, and they're not, you know, I would say another thing is a lot of people aren't asking for help. You know, a lot of people don't, a good example, right? Get a coach, get a coach, find somebody that's, that's got an experience in business that knows how to, how to handle these types of things and set a couple hours a week aside 
and hire somebody that you can sit down and talk to that you can talk these things out and then come away with some actions that are executable, right? Some, some things that you do a little bit every week, try and get things done, whether it's designing a job description and putting ads out there to hire somebody or finding financing to make sure that you have plenty of liquidity. If there's, you know, a, a shortfall of work, there, there's all these things that you can benefit from if you ask for help. I think a lot of times people don't ask for help either. Mm-hmm. And kind of like echoing what you said, it, it sounds like due to the urgent, I mean, people are just focused on the day-to-day urgent things, but you know, if anyone has read some Stephen Covey and you know, the urgent versus not important, important, not urgent, uh, like business planning sounds like one of those things that are, they're not urgent, but it's like really important to do, but because it's not screaming at you to get it done today, like it's just, it just becomes deprioritized because you got customers, you got financing, you got to take care of, you got trucks that need to be repaired. You got these changes in the industry with legislation and all these things that are screaming at you now to solve. And, um, and it's just, I mean, it's, it's the natural thing to do, right? It's to, to handle the thing that's in front of you. Yeah. I can um, tell you some of the most successful HVAC business owners, um, that I know, right. And this goes across the trades they're in, they're in peer groups. Right. So there are groups where you might go to your local, uh, or I should say not your local, but like your national or regional, um, uh, trades organization, right? XYZ, whatever it is for where you are, XYZ contractors association. And there are members that are sharing the same trade right there. They're essentially doing the same type of work you do, but they might do it in a different geographical location. And I can tell you my experience, the people that really exit and have this kind of mindset, this bigger, broader mindset of, of making their business blossom and really turning it into an organization, not just a lifestyle business. They're in these, uh, these care groups where, yeah, it requires time, right? They might take four days. I can tell you a lot of them, they'll, they'll meet four or five days a year. And they will go to a specific location where there's a group of business owners. There's somebody that might be the, um, the mediator or like, kind of like the MC that runs it with an agenda and everybody will bring some information. There's, there's items they bring, right. And everybody will then compare, you know, there's a, there's a gentleman's agreement. Nobody that, that nobody really competes geographically in these situations, but they learn a lot. They'll learn what software is working, what, what type of of HR structure do you have that's really providing support to certain departments, right? What are the, how are you, what are you doing for your sales to increase sales during certain types of year or advertising or marketing campaign? What are all the things that people are doing and, and that work and doing that, that, that don't work, right? Those, those can be just as valuable. So you don't waste time or resources trying things that don't work. And we can learn there a lot of times from our peers. I mean, me, I'm in a study group. I'm in a study group with other financial advisors that are, um, are in the USA, right. And they focus on working with business owners. That's what they do. Right. And there's certain strategies and techniques that I learned that, uh, I learned from that study. Right. And that those kinds of principles and tools, they transcend across industry, you know, HVAC plumbing, electrical contracting, right. Like learning, being open to learning from really successful peers. That's a, that's a real good tool. You can manage to, to, to harness it. So. And then the, the beautiful thing as well with, cause I'm, I'm also very similarly part of these different, uh, peer groups or study groups. Um, I think the, another big value add they provide is that 
they open up what you believe is possible. Um, so like for me, I, I don't come from a, a business background. I don't really know what's possible in business. But when you go to these groups where there's people who are 5, 10, 15, 20 years ahead of you, and they're like, oh, wow, they accomplished this. They're doing that. Like they're no longer working the day to day. It's like, wow, that's I, maybe I could do that too. So in addition to best practices, it's just I think it expands people's minds to what can actually be done, <laughs> the possibilities. Yeah, you're right. And it also, it's going to teach you how do you measure up? Because there's, there's a whole concept and thought process about, hey, I have this problem. How do I solve it? But then there's a whole other side of the coin. How do I measure up? What are the key indicators that I can track as far as profitability, uh, where I'm spending my money, where right as far as a percentage of overall revenue, where am I, what am I spending funds on? And how does that compare to my peers? Um, and then what are the benefits that I'm getting from certain, from, from increasing my cash flow to certain, uh, to certain line items, what's the payoff that I get, right? So there's these, there's different, um, there's different indicators that you can line up these businesses financially, take their P&L, line them up side by side and compare and see where everybody's, everybody's different. And then look at the results as far as profitability. You can't do that unless you have a good relationship with other business owners, yeah. right? Very rarely. I mean, you could, you could, there are certain codes that are provided in accounting, right? Where you can go to your CPA, if they're a good CPA and they can run reports, but even that is based on, um, it's based on people that participate in surveys and studies. So those, those kind of, um, uh, comparison studies that you would do don't allow you to speak to the people that to ask questions where when you have maybe a mentor or a peer group, something like that, you can have real conversations about why did somebody, you know, increase their spending for marketing, uh, at a certain quarter. And then what was the outcome they had directly? You know, uh, what's the way they price out certain jobs and how did they have such an increase in a certain specific line item, right? Oh, you're, you're changing your pricing model with this one type of job because, um, because it makes you gain more uh, work, right? You win more proposals when you go against your competition. There's a lot of little nuances like that, that you can't get unless you're doing like trial and error and trial and error takes forever, right? <laughs> So it's not, it's not the best way to kind of go about this. That makes a lot of sense. And, um, and the value other too is like, you, you might feel like you're a, a big fish, but you're in a small pond. And I think being a part of these national groups, it gets you to realize, Hey, maybe I'm really a small fish in a big pond and I got to learn some best practices in terms of, like you said, these line items, investments in certain things and, um, what to expect as well. Yeah, I think, and, and what's the goal, right? So if you follow those follow these tools and you, and you can execute on the tools you learn, right? Your business value increases. You then, right? You start to get to a place where you can afford confidently to hire management, to hire people that will help you run the organization, right? Which then in turn increases business value again, because every time that I can, as an owner, every time that I can put together a structure that allows me to separate myself from the business, it actually becomes this whole third party. This business isn't just based on me and my sweat. It's based on a structure that I build. And when you start at the beginning of getting in communication and working with people that are your peers, increasing your business value slowly because you become more successful, then building a management team, right? 
having those people learn from other peers, right? Because all those other, there's other people out there and, and you really focus like help those management members that you, that you bring in, right? Your CFOs or your, your head sales, right? Your head of um, receiving payable financials. So those people are going to become your key employees over time. They are going to really run the business so that you can step away and have some time. And that's, that's like the end goal, right? Keeping the end in mind, freedom is the end goal, right? So, so yeah, yeah. That, that leads into like the importance of having a management structure. Mm. And so I guess as a simple test, um, for someone who might not have that in place, um, I think a simple one I've seen in the past, like if I, if I step away from my business for X amount of time, like what happens? Like, will it continue to run? Like, will things stop working? Are, are there other simple tests like that to kind of know, like, I just, I guess gut check, like, hey, this is kind of like where I'm at in terms of the, the business valuation journey? Yeah, I think some of, some of the other things you can do is see what becomes a bottleneck, right? So a bottleneck with work, whatever it is, whatever in your business, are you the bottleneck? Are you the problem as the owner? Does everything need to pass through you? And if it does, then you know there's a real issue. One of the ways you can also identify this is thinking about like your sales process. So if it starts with a salesman going and making a cold call or a phone call coming in, really document just on a notebook. Sit there on a Saturday morning or sit there when you're by yourself and think, well, what's the step-by-step sales process? And then go through being awarded the job and implementation and, and really look, how much of that are you involved in? And put a little and highlight the times that you're involved. And if you're involved in too much of it and the whole page is highlighted, then you know there's a real problem, right? It's also going to tell you, right? Think about it now. Now I'm going through this process and I'm identifying what my, what my sales process looks like. Or, and, and then how that translates into like workflow, right? And installs or service or whatever the category is. I've identified that I am too heavily involved in the process, right? Now that creates concentration risk with my company, right? My company now experience a concentrated and heightened risk because it relies on me as the R too much. And now what's a byproduct of that? Well, since I've identified where the pain points are, I'm really slowly building a job description for the person I need to hire. Right now, what is, cause you think, well, if I hire somebody, what are they going to do? I'm going to pay them, but what are they going to do? Right. And then you can really look at, you go through this process and you can identify, well, these are the places that I need help. These are the things that I hate doing. Maybe, right. As a business owner, maybe these are the top 10, the top 10 things that I have to do that I hate doing. Well, that sounds like a great job description for somebody else. You know, like, because that's going to keep me happy coming to work, right? If I know that there's these activities I don't enjoy, and if I can pay somebody else to do them and still make a profit and enjoy my life and enjoy my work, then I don't, I don't, I don't experience that frustration that some people have right before they lock up the door, right? It all kind of goes back to, to what we started talking about, you know, having, having a plan and how do you really come to, how does it come to fruition? That's beautiful. So it's, um, and, and kind of what you just touched on, it relates to your, your personal motivation over time. Um, you know, exiting your business, it's not going to happen in a single day, right? It's something you plan for far into the future. And part of that is your personal motivation as, as the business owner running the business. If you become tired and frustrated, then maybe you don't see the, the full process through. And so I think kind of what you're saying is, you know, we're going to build as you're systemizing 
identifying like what you don't like to do and then see how can I delegate this to someone so that my personal motivation can stay at a higher level because I'm doing the things that I enjoy doing on a day-to-day basis. So. Yeah, and what you're going to notice too is is that you're going to ha- you're going to get reinvigorated as a business owner, right? And I and I'm I'm uh, so I'm going through this on my own my own practice, right? My practice has been extremely busy, uh, so I had to bring in a partner, right? I had to bring in a partner. He handles a lot of the things that that don't really suit my skill set. My skill set uh, is more tailored to a certain set of activities, and when I um, when I execute certain activities. The business as a whole is very profitable and business comes in, right? When I'm spending my time doing these other things that I don't like doing, or then what do I do? Think about it. Even as a business owner, I don't like doing, what do I do? I procrastinate. I push them off. I'd rather gravitate towards the things that I like doing, right? And I'll tell you, for a lot of business owners, that's being in the field. I have a significant number of HVAC business owners that, that, have other individuals that deal with the operations, right? They have other employees that run the operations, office managers, things like that, because they like going around to these real difficult HVAC jobs that are technical and working in the field with the crew to help them troubleshoot and to teach that, you know, teach our technicians. They want to be able to go in and teach the technicians how to, how to identify and fix these real problems. Cause that's why a lot of HVAC business owners got into it in the first place. They like to fix these problems. They like to tinker and figure it out and troubleshoot and try it. Then put change something, try it again. And then they get stuck in HR and payroll and insurance and all this other crap. And they don't enjoy that, you know? So, so that when I, you know, and that's, that's a very common theme. I see a lot of guys that build, they they would choose a passive ownership structure where they own their business, but they do have a, a set of maybe two or three key employees that are running a lot of the operations and it allows these business owners, HVAC, plumbing, electrical contractors to go on job sites, you know? And, and I think that kind of goes into the next portion of this, right? So now, um, now we started with making the business more profitable with maybe a peer group, a coach, working with somebody that I can talk to, right? Asking for help. Mm-hmm. Then identifying that I, I'm increasing my business value, I can afford to take on management and I can afford to, to plug in some individuals that will relieve me of these activities that I hate as a business owner, right? The, the, the things that I, I may think that are minutia, but, but really they're very important and they need to be done. So then, right, what do I have? I have a business that's profitable. I have a business that I can step away from a little bit, but I still, now my risk has been transferred onto these key employees. If I lose one of these key employees, right, this risk still lies with them because if something happens to them, death, disability, uh, um, departure, right, from the organization, if I'm not taking care of them, and, and there's different there's different planning techniques that we would put in place. So um, bonus plans right? Based on profitability, incentive plans for these key employees, uh, making sure that there's proper documentation with their employment agreement. So everybody understands what their job description is. You know, uh, they understand that if they perform well, the business does well, and we all make more money, including them, right? They, they have incentive plans and that's where we really come into play, right? So for us, what we'll do before I, we started this, I was working on an incentive plan design. And that's, and that's something where we're looking at 
hey, what are the, you know, for this particular company, their fiscal year started October 1st, right? Well, well, where are we at year to date? What's the target as far as revenue? Uh, what's our gross profitability, you know? And then, and then how does that relate to a pool, right? So when I say pool, it's, it's a, think of it like a big bucket of money that if, if the company hits its target, right? This big bucket of money gets divided along a handful of employees that are been identified, that have been identified as key employees, right? The more money the company makes, the more goes into this pool, right? The company obviously keeps the majority of the profits because it needs to operate, but there's this, there's these funds that get set aside and that allows everybody to kind of cash in on the success that we've all contributed towards, right? So there's different, there's different tools that you put in place as you go through the process and you, and you do build a successful business that's profitable with a management team. And now I can sleep at night as a business owner thinking, oh, well, I have this management team. I've done the right planning. Something happens to them, you know, death, disability, or, you know, dissatisfied, right? I, I've, I've, I've taken care to make sure that they're hopefully not dissatisfied and, and, you know, we'll, we'll definitely cover all those risks when we work with a business owner. So that's something that, that's a, that's a key component where we're going to come in and help. Um, another question that I get a lot and I think every business owner thinks about is that for that exit, like how, um, in for the trades, like how does that formula look like, right? There's some multiple on, uh, on something. So like, how, how are people figuring out like at least an expectation, like, oh, this is, if my goal is to retire with this amount one day, how, how do I need to set up my business so I can get there? Is, is there like some rough benchmarks that someone can use? Like, Hey, this is kind of what I need to get to if I want to leave the business with 5 million or, or 10 million or something like that. Yeah. So it's going to depend on a few different factors, right? It's going to depend on the type of work they do, whether it's residential or commercial. It's also going to depend on concentration risk of customer, right? Do you have anyone like if, if 90% of your business is from the federal government and then the federal government changes a regulation that says that you can, they can't do business with your type of entity. You've had it. You have a lot of concentration risk, right? Or if you say, "Well, I do most of my business with Amazon, or I do most of my business with these big conglomerates," you'd be surprised really quick that can dry up because maybe there's a change internally in the way their 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 development is as far as an organization, and that trickles down to you as a trade. So you know, there's not there's not a real, I would say, easy formula that you can just uh, back your way into and like do it on the back of a napkin. It's a little bit more complex. It also depends geographically where you are, right? What's the competition where you are? Do you have a captive audience because you know you're in the middle of the desert and literally, right? Like you're you're in a place where there's there may not be a ton of uh, competition for you. Well, then you're gonna, you know, your business is more valuable, right? Because you kind of have your client base relies on you heavily because the next closest guy is far away. But if you're someplace that's congested and there's a lot of competition, well. You know, maybe you're, maybe you, you, you really have to work a lot harder for market share and it, it might be a little different how a third party uh, looks at the value of your business. You know, I will say one true measure though, that's for all of this, because some of the topics I've been mentioned, like they apply to some people, but not all. But one thing that does apply to, to, to every business owner is that, you know, we got to start by looking at where your personal financial planning is, right? Mm. Right. Like, how do you live 
in your house uh, with your family day to day? And are you overspending? You know, are you or are you somebody that's conservative? How much how much like liquidity and savings are you keeping personally and in the business? Those are the numbers that we would like to look at, right? You know, we'll look at our, our, what somebody's cost of living and then we'll use a specific multiple based on their characteristics and their demographic. And we'll say, okay, this is like a safe savings number for you in your household, private, right? Mm-hmm. So that insulates them from maybe an emergency. Uh, do they have special, you know, certain insurance products? Like, it, God forbid, they become, uh, you know, disabled or unable to to run the business. Is there going to be disability insurance? Are there going to be, you know, uh, other products out there that that'll kind of absorb the risk, right? Um, so, you know, those that's that's one general uh, rule I would say is that we start with the business owner's personal finances because we want to know what's going on, right? So that we can then we know how much they really need to walk away. That's how you can tell how much somebody needs to walk away. Right. Mm. That's the big thing. That, that makes a lot of sense, right? You know, if, if someone's money psychology says for every dollar I earn, I spend a dollar or if every dollar I earn, I spend $2, you're never retiring. You know, no matter how much your business is worth, if you just overspend or spend it equal, you'll, you'll just run out of money. And so that's a really good component. You have to put in context the, personal finance plan within also the business exit plan too. Yeah, because a lot of times you're going to have a gap, right? You're going to have a value, it's called. So let's say like you, I identify what your cost of living is. I can add inflation. I can add in specific life events like, oh, we want to have another child or we have a young child that's got to go to college. Any of these specific criteria that we learned from, from doing our fact-finding, right? Then we can look at your business and see what the value is. We can go to market and, and get a, a, a hypothetical uh, rate. Like we don't do M&A work. I don't do specifically emergency and acquisitions work. I think it's important everybody knows that. But we definitely um, can introduce them to somebody that does M&A work and get a value, on the, a, a very uh, uh, reliable value of the business. And by us doing the proper retirement planning and analysis and needs analysis, then understanding business value you know, the, the customer can say, well, we need to increase the business value by a certain percentage over the next handful of years so that when we do eventually go to market, uh, we'll, we'll net enough after taxes, right? After mm-hmm. transaction fees and attorney fees and all that, right? So we don't give specifically, we don't give tax advice or firm. We don't give legal advice. Um, however, we do work with clients to go through this process very frequently. We have a lot of exposure to these transactions. So, so that there's a lot of value that lies. I love that. Um, that's, and that's, that's beautiful. It's like, it's not something that again, you can do in a day, but you need to work with someone on this. Like, especially, I mean, a lot of us haven't, you know, for me specifically, I haven't, I didn't grow up in a business at all. So not knowing personal finance as well, these are things that you have to build over time. And many times the shortcut is to work with a professional on doing a lot of these things because it's it's going to take a lot of time because you're doing that plus you're trying to manage the day-to-day in the business as well. Yeah, especially, you know, for me, I I really look at um, credentials, right? So if you're going to work with somebody in these areas, it's valuable to know that they've got the education. And then if you're very lucky, right, the, the personal experience, because those are two. So right, education is something that anybody can go to school and learn. But then when you couple that with your personal experience, there's a certain level of wisdom that somebody gets because they've been in it. And now they've also 
learned the education about around it, right? And there's a deeper understanding of wisdom that comes with that uh, education and experience. So when people are looking for an advisor, I would encourage them to really, uh, to really probe and ask questions like, like, have you worked with somebody in my industry, right? Have you specifically gone through this process with somebody in my industry multiple times so that we're not going to, you know, look back on this and say, oh, we made a mistake because we didn't know, you know, mm. um, like for me, the same thing is I have colleagues that, that will work specifically with like a video game manufacturer or video game design firms or other industries that I don't, they're not my specialty, right? It's not my specialty. Mm. So now for me, I might bring one of those individuals in. If I have a client that's in one of those technology fields where I don't have a deep understanding, mm. uh, I'll bring in, I'll bring another advisor and I'll bring a co advisor in that has an understanding of, of that, uh, that, you know, that, um, industry. So. That's awesome. So experience as well as the actual, it sounds like the book as well as the street smarts. To yes. And put plain exactly. Yes. Well put. That's exactly right. Yes. Yeah. Got it. And, yeah. um, and maybe just, uh, also just paint a picture for the future for folks. Like what does, what would a hypothetical situation look like if someone did their exit properly, right? You know, they did everything that he talks about. They built the management structure. They built out the processes, the job descriptions. Maybe they're now, you know, looking to exit. Like what is, what is a successful exit like look like? Yeah. So we'll go back to the beginning of when we started talking about this, right? During our show here, uh, the freedom, it, it ends up with, it ends up with them having freedom and being able to do the things they want to do with their time, right? They're not, people start a business. Like you said earlier, people start a business thinking they want to be their own boss. But the truth is, is that when you're a business owner, the customer is your boss, right? The customer is the one that's dictating where you go a lot of times and where you're spending your time, right? Especially if you don't have people you can rely on and you're a business owner, you're the one that's got to go there nights, weekends, holidays. So, so for somebody that has successfully done this planning, they are slowly noticing that they have more time. I can tell you there's business owners that I work with, will they, and they will look at me kiddingly and they'll say, well, what do I do with my time? Now they're saying that like tongue in cheek, right? Because part of the conversation that I have with people is I ask them, like, what will you do with your time? Right? Some guys say golf. Some people say babysit my grandkids or travel with my wife or whatever it is. Part of the conversation we'll have in the beginning is we want them to understand what their life will look like when they get to do what they want. Right? If you could do what you want, like I have a guy, he said, look, he collects old cars. He would love to get in these old cars with his wife and just drive around the country and, and go and travel. He doesn't like to fly and he, they don't want to go, you know, but they love to get in some of these. He's got old Porsches and he's got other old uh, European cars that he loves. And he's like, we'll get in those cars and we'll drive around and we'll go and visit and just see the countries. And that's what they do, right? They spend a certain amount of time doing that because for the last five years, he's been putting in a management structure. And he's been doing his own personal financial planning. So he doesn't need to make the same amount of money off the business that he wants to, right? Like he doesn't need the huge distributions to pay for things because we've been doing financial planning. We've been paying off his debt. We've been making other solid investments, right? That, that he can rely on now to provide him income so that he doesn't need, he could take some of that money and say, well, I don't need to make X like I used to. I can take a little less from the business 
I'm going to hire somebody and I'm going to get my freedom because I've done all of this planning. Does that make sense? You find, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like it really starts at home for a lot of owners. We really got to sit and talk and really get an understanding of, of what they're doing with their personal finances. You know, that's because, because that's where they live. That's where they live. They work at their office. They might feel like they live at their office, but they really live at home. And that's, that's when they exit, that's where they're going to be. So we got to see what their personal home finances look like. Awesome. And there's two things from that. So first for anyone who's listening, um, we, we interviewed a few uh, successful contractors who have exited in the past. Uh, check out the episode with Justin and Kristen Deese. They actually took the episode on their, on their yacht and <laughs> they're just enjoying, you know, sharing insights and stories. And the thing that I loved about them, part of their retirement journey was to take their daughters. They were still in high school and just you know, travel around the world, go to these different ports and give them a more worldly education before, you know, they left the home. Um, but great. And then I think the second thing which you brought up is that I've noticed that some business owners can have an identity crisis once they exit the business um, because they've a lot of potentially their self-worth has come from, you know, working the day to day of the business, solving problems and being known as the boss or the owner. So how, how, how do you help coach someone? So you mentioned like, identify a few activities like golf and things like that. But that identity transformation, I, I, I think that's, I also see some businesses that are just go straight back to work. <laughs> you know what I mean? So what, what do you, uh, in terms of coaching, like how would you advise someone who is like that identity transition they're going to have? Yes, we got to get a sense of their purpose, right? What's the purpose? Why are they? And like you said, some people do choose to still work in the business, but they're doing it because that's their passion. They love it. Right. They want to teach a younger generation. They're not getting mixed in with the day to day operations. They're looking at all the jobs and they're saying, oh, instead of me working 12 hours today, I'm going to spend an hour. Right. And I'm going to go to this one job or we're having a complex issue and I'm going to go work with the technician that's assigned to it. And then they'll show up on that job and work with that technician for a few hours and maybe they'll go have lunch or whatever they'll do. They'll do it because it's what they love. Now, I will say when it comes to having your identity tied tightly to your business. And especially I'll say there's a distinction there, gender, right? I, my experience is that men do that. That's a significant, um, that could be a significant barrier to exit, right? As if you have too much of your self-worth and your identity tied up. Uh, it's very, very healthy when you're building the business, right? Because you own it and you, you take it on. Uh, and that's why businesses are successful usually because the owner takes it on and they, they really have this extreme ownership. But then you have to trans, you have to like transfer that to something else, you know? And for a lot of people, um, I can tell you, we have business owners that will do a lot of uh, community development, right? So, so they're finding things that they might think are wrong with the world and they want to fix, you know, and that could be like in their local communities, they see that there's an underserved population or, uh, maybe there's a healthcare concern in a certain demographic that, you know, hits close to home for them. And they want to go and they want to spend their time making a difference by volunteering on boards or, or, or anything like that in their local community. We'll really encourage that. And, and I'll tell you the trick for me. I noticed that in the beginning, when we start to transition the owner out of the business slowly, we will couch those conversations about branding. We'll say, look, it's very good for you for the brand of the business to go out and be a member of the community and volunteer. And they're very, even then you're like tricking them it's, to like, because their identity is tied in this business. And they say, oh, well, I'm still helping the business because it's true. But really they're slowly, they're slowly falling in love with helping the community. And it gives them a whole nother sense of being. 
and it allows them to exit in a real graceful way and still mean it. They still have meaning, right? So I can tell you that's something that we do very frequently is what we talk about community service, giving back to the public, right? Especially if these people are successful because they feel that there's a sense of, uh, uh, a sense of, of um, gratitude they have for being able to, to be financially self-sufficient and independent that they're like, oh, I should pass it on, right? It's a general want to give back that most of the really successful business owners have. I love that. Yeah, and I definitely resonate with that as well. It's like for many folks who might've made it, like they might be the first in their family to have done that. And they just want to create those opportunities for those behind them to be that helping hand to bring them up, whether like you said, it's in the field or whether that's just in the community with mentorship or youth development. There's um, so many things someone can do. And it's, I guess it'll just be self-discovery, like understanding like what, what is that for you? Like what's, What's your purpose? Like, why, why are you here? Right. And try it out. Try different things. They can try it, right? They're still in the business. They're still working. They can try being a member of different committees, different boards, their church, different outreach groups. Give it a whirl. See what they like. And then they'll find it eventually. They'll find something that, that really touches them. So. Love that. And uh, I guess with that, um, any, any last takeaways you want to share with the audience? Um, it could be just personal advice. It could be with exit planning um, and maybe even some actionable takeaways that people can act on so that, you know, they leave this with something to do or something to move towards. Yeah, I would say if they've listened to this interview today and they hear anything that speaks to them and they like to discuss it further, you know, they should come and schedule time on my calendar. There's no, and there's no obligation. There's no, it's just two people having a phone call, right? And seeing if uh, their sensibilities and their personalities work together. And if it does, fine. If it doesn't, there's other advisors that I could recommend them to where they might have a better fit. But I would say, don't waste time and think that you're, you should, you're not ready yet. That would be the takeaway, right? That, that you should be looking at this now because the sooner you start, the sooner you'll get to freedom. That's it, right? It's not, it's not like, oh, I'm not ready or we're not the right size business or we, everybody has this. I hate to, I hate to make it sound like uh, people aren't special because people are unique. However, and they're unique. They all have their own circumstances. But really, when we look at a lot of issues, they're not special. Other people have overcome these same issues a business owner might have. So don't ever think that should stop you from picking up the phone or from like, going on a link and, and scheduling time on a calendar or have a phone call because there's no harm in, right? It's just be open to the exploration of it. And then you'd be surprised. It, it might have a phone call for 15 minutes now. And then a year from now, you say, oh, well, I think it's time to go back and talk to that person, right? You know, I'm getting to the, uh, some of those things have happened. And then they're, then they're like, then there's a buy-in. Not only financially, but I mean emotionally, where somebody buys in and they really can expedite the process and experience this freedom that we you know, that, that freedom, that financial freedom, that that's the goal. So, yeah. It's amazing. And, um, for everyone who's listening, we'll make sure to include Jeremy's link in the, the show notes. Um, so you can book that 15 minute call again, no obligation. It's really, um, you know, just an opportunity, like you said, Jeremy, just, just two people talking and really, I mean, yeah, just, just connecting really. Yeah. Yeah. Forward to it. Yeah. And as they say, you're, your network is your net worth. And, you know, Jeremy, the, the things that you've done, the experiences that you've had, um, really it's, you have just a unique insight into the industry and you've combined it with the 
the book smarts and the experience around the financial planning parts of things and exit planning. So it's really a unique blend of a lot Thanks. of things. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me today. It was a really great experience. Yeah. So with that, I just want to say thank you to everyone. Thank you, Jeremy, for your time and advice. And also thank you to everyone for listening. Um, we'll, again, make sure to have the, the link in the show notes. And um, hopefully this was helpful. And we are all cheering and rooting for you for your path to freedom. And so start today. I mean, you know, the best, as they say, the, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. Similar with your planning. You didn't do 20 years ago. Let's, let's start today. That's so right. That, take care, everyone. And uh, we will catch you on the next episode. Take care, everyone. Thank you for joining us for the HVAC Financial Freedom Podcast. Follow us on StreamYard, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and check out our main website, www.hvacfinancialfreedom.com to find out how you can also achieve financial freedom.